And if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and let's turn open to Ephesians 1. You may be saying, why is it that he keeps reading this over and over and over? There's a very biblical reason. When Peter repeats himself, he says, I want to stir up your mind by way of reminder. I think that's a good, uh, a good principle to follow anytime that you're going through the Word of God. We can't afford to be too familiar with it, right? It might get a little dangerous. We might see our lives getting affected by what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I'm, I'm okay with that. I think we need it. So, uh, if we start here in, in chapter 1, we're going to look at 3. We're going to read to the end of the chapter so that we get the big idea. Uh, but one thing I just want to emphasize before we step in is remember, there's really two divisions in this situation. The first is from 3 to 14 is the idea of everything that we already have in Christ. It's already yours. It's every spiritual blessing. It's already available. Jesus did everything to secure it. You didn't do anything to earn it. We don't deserve it in whatever way. And that's what makes it a blessing by grace. It is God's unmerited and undeserved favor towards a people who are ill-deserving in every possible way. But when you get into verse 15, there's a shift. And this shift has to do with the idea of us coming into a greater knowledge of how these things work. How many of you men are tinkerers? Not tinklers, tinkerers. Making sure we got this right. Tinkerers. Something breaks. And your wife might be like, honey, we need a new one of those. And you kind of shift them a look. And a screwdriver appears out of nowhere. And you say, no, we don't. And it either ends up in a million pieces or somehow it's miraculously restored, right? There's this idea of recognizing that you possess a unit like that. But that doesn't necessarily know, mean that you know everything that goes on within it to operate it. And it's not until you are taking the plunge inside of it that you recognize every nook and cranny, how everything works together, every gear that's in place. This is what 15 through 23 does. It's Paul's prayer for greater sanctification amongst redeemed people. He doesn't want us to just be saved and be across the line. He wants us to go deep into the house. Our husband... Christ, yes we can say that, that's not weird, picked up his bride and brought her over the threshold. The problem is, is we want to jump out of his arms and sit on the couch. No. We need him to continue to carry us all throughout and show us all that he has designed for us. And so Paul's prayer is in that fashion. I'll, if that's strange to you, we'll explain it here in just a second. So notice what it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, for what purpose? That we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons, remember that's future, through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace notice grace grace riches it just keeps coming up which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view 
to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith of the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers. Here's our verse that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling and what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Now you may recall, or if you weren't here last week to understand, you can always go back and and check it out on YouTube or our website. We have those available. But last week we ventured into prayer. The idea of Paul's prayer in particular. And if I notice one thing about the way that Paul prays, is Paul prays in a way that I don't pray. And that's convicting. Because obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what Paul's asking for is right. Which makes me think about the paling in comparison that I'm trying to come up with to bring before the Lord. Paul understands something incredible. God has lofty goals for the church to accomplish with all the blessings that he's already given to them. The deficiency that we find is we often don't accomplish great things. Because we don't ask of him in accordance of what He's already given to us. Therefore, the contents of our prayer are extremely significant. And so when He says, I'm asking the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, that He would give you a spirit developing a characteristic or quality within us of wisdom, knowledge applied, and revelation, a greater unveiling of truth, which only God can do. It's got to be supernatural. It can't be, well, I read this entire commentary series, and boy, I'm deep now. No, you're not. You're not. And here's the reason why. is because it's never about knowledge of itself. Knowledge puffs up, but what? Do we know? Love builds up. So if I've got a whole lot of head knowledge, But I can't be sympathetic in your situation. I have missed the application of exactly what the Spirit wants to use the Word of God for in order to change me into being more compassionate along the lines of Christ. Does everybody see that? It's got to go somewhere. 
I've got all kinds of bad um, illustrations in my head about how I could share that with you. Let me just say this. What's that? Please don't. Let me just say it this way, because it's important. It's, it's gross, but it's important. Okay? The church runs a real risk of getting backed up and stopping and stalling and staying. We weren't saved to sit. That's important. God wants to move us. But notice, it's God that wants to move us. That's the part that we have the problem with. Well, I want to move for God. Sit down. There's a very big difference between I want to move for God and I want God to move me. And this is the difference that Paul is making in this prayer. Now let's explain why that is. Here's your $5 word from last week. Epignosis, right? It's fun. Let's say it together. Epignosis. Yeah, see? You feel smart. It's great. You love it. Remember what this word means, okay? And it's this word right here. That he may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in thee. Here it is. The knowledge of him. The knowledge of the Father. The greater knowing of God. God wants to take you and I deeper always. He's just waiting for us to be submissive to go. He's waiting for us to cast off restraint that we put on ourselves so that we will open broken hands and say, Lord, you lead. I'm ready now. See, the interesting thing is, is when we're not saved, God is the one who does all the drawing, the convicting, and the coming in the situation. But once He brings us into this brand new life through faith in Christ, He is waiting for us to be submissive to Him. He will run to us to the lost. But he's waiting for us to come to the point where we say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to go. How do we know that? James, draw near to God, and he will what? He'll draw near to you who has to make the first move as a saved person. I do. I have to recognize more and more the deficiencies that I've been surrounded with or that I impart to myself in order to say, this isn't going to work. This is not a successful answer. I'm not going to come out well in this. And I am usually slowly, because that's how I am, brought to a point of humility of saying, God, you've got to do this. You've got to be the difference or the difference won't be done. I'm out of options. I'm out of answers. It's over. It's a good place to be. So notice, this is a knowledge that is true, not opposed to having a false knowledge of God. That's not really how it's being set up here. But it's the idea of being incredibly accurate or thorough or full, and in some situations, it is a knowledge that has experience dwelling all over it. It's not just the head, but the heart has gotten involved in this, and it's now changing and reforming our being. Linsky says, the knowledge which really apprehends God, true realization in the heart, not merely that of the intellect. So when he says that he may develop in you or give you, God, I'm asking of you, that this church that I'm writing to, and it's not just one person, it's body-wide, that this church would have this spiritual quality, this characteristic cultivated in them of wisdom and revelation in a deeper, intimate, more experiential, accurate, and thorough knowledge of who you are in your person. I'll tell you this. 
Apart from that, we don't know anything. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If we don't start with God, we can't know anything. And if we're not willing to go deeper with God in these situations, we will never know more. It cannot happen. So Paul's prayer is meant for Holy Spirit supernatural get in there and get her done kind of theology going on to where we are simply the willing but passive recipients of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. Are you saying we don't have to do anything? I'm saying the way that the change is made is by grace and so it can't include you except being the recipient of it. Well, what about time I spend in the Word? Yes, and that's what the Holy Spirit uses. But the Holy Spirit's doing the change. How do we know that's the problem? Because when I change myself, I don't change. I just act different. You ever notice that? Why is he being so weird? Oh, he's trying to change himself again. Give him a couple of bad situations. He'll be normal again. Good grief. But if we're looking for something that's lasting, then it's got to come from outside of myself. As much as I would hope to change within, I cannot. And the sooner I come to that realization, the sooner I'll find that self-imposed shackles fall off and I have all kinds of freedom I never knew I had because that's what Christ died to give me. So, in that case, we now come to a second thing that's stuck together here. So when we see in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart Open the eyes of my heart. Excellent choice, Emily. Thank you. Awesome. May be enlightened. This is the doctrine of illumination. What is the illumination by the Holy Spirit? It's when He brings believers to a greater understanding of God through His Word. Everybody see that Robert Kennedy is running for president. I was waiting for something else. I didn't know what you guys thought about that. That's okay. I'm holding my cards close. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not a social media person, hardly, but sometimes I'm on Twitter, trying to get away from it more, recognizing it poisons my mind, okay? But he posted something on there, and he talked about how there's all kinds of ways to know God, and I thought, boy, this is going to be interesting. You can know Him through images, and you can know Him through great books of historicity, and, you know, politicians got to have big words that we don't know. All that stuff. But most of all, we see Him in nature. Now number one, that tells me His theology's out of whack. Okay? Because that's not it. There's only one sacred book. That's the Word of God. And so when I'm looking at something like that, I, it really is revealing about where they come from. But here's the thing. It's very interesting that even He sees that people desire to have a greater knowledge of God. Now I don't know the man. I don't know that he's redeemed. I don't think he's a believer in Christ. But one thing I do know is that even he within himself recognizes a cavity that's got to be filled. To make a statement like that, that's not just something people do every day. What's the problem it's missing? The enlightenment of God that happens through the Holy Spirit only in His Word. Why? Because this is how God has spoken. And if God has spoken in this way, the greatest thing that we could ever do is shut everything out and get alone with Him. He's got something to say. We've said this before. If you want to hear God speak audibly, then you read the Bible out loud. That's the way that it works. Okay? 
So when God has something to say, he's touched every issue that you and I have, either in detail or in principle, in the pages of the Old and the New Testament. What we need is a submissive calling upon the Spirit to say, Lord, in and of myself, I can't understand this, so the Holy Spirit, who you've promised will be my teacher, I need to be taught. Please illuminate that to my understanding. Now, why would that be important? Here's the reason why. There are three clauses. Those are word things, not Santa things, okay? Three clauses that are brought up in this text that we need to pay attention to. The first one is that we saw last week. The hope of the Father's calling. What is the hope of the Father's calling? We live as believers, as people of hope. Eternity is guaranteed. Glorification is certain. There is nothing. Height, depth, length, breadth, doesn't matter. Things on earth, things to come, things not on earth that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are locked up tight. Nothing can do it. Everybody remember those old commercials where the guy would put super glue on his construction helmet he would stick himself to a steel beam and then he's just hanging there dangling his head? My question is, is how powerful is that strap? That's incredible. I'm not worried about the super glue. That strap that's holding him in there. His neck must hurt. God's love for us is the strap that's holding that guy on there. That's how he does it. I'm really trying to relate to you today, okay? The second thing is, is that God is a giver. So just by responding in faith to the gospel, he not only forgives sin, he not only indwells with the Holy Spirit, he not only puts us in a place of righteousness in his sight, he's justified us by the blood of Christ, but he also turns around and says, here, have all this. And he keeps an inheritance on us for no other reason except the fact we've been born again. Our birth inheritance. So not only do we have a locked up certain glorification destiny, the glorification destiny is of mass quality and is rich in nature. But then it brings us to a third one that we need to spend today on. Paul asks that by a quality of wisdom and revelation, we would grow in a deeper knowledge of who God is so that we would understand the surpassing greatness of his power toward us. You ever feel powerless in life? There's nothing I could do. There's nothing I had in this situation. Did you realize that you actually have all power in your corner? It's just not your power. You see what I'm saying? We're actually powerful beyond belief with the power that has been graced to us. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. So verse 19. What is the surpassing greatness? This is going beyond a boundary that's been set. It's off the charts. It's blowing up the scale. Sometimes I feel like that when I step up on the scale in the bathroom, right? Here it is. It's going beyond the scale of greatness. And what's important to recognize here is that greatness here is not mass, but quality. It's not the idea of a lot, and it's not the idea of being heavy. It's the idea of greatness being the cream of the crop, the most choice that there could be of a situation. And notice, it is of His power. Now, I'm going to harp this like crazy for one reason. I need to know it more. It's His power. Please grasp this. It's His power. I have no power apart from Christ. Now, that shouldn't be confusing. Why is that? 
Jesus told his disciples, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Apart from me, you can do some stuff well with good intentions. No. Jesus would Jesus is so compassionate, yes, but he wouldn't even give us that, would he? You know why? Because he's not a liar. He is not going to save our feelings and try to coax our ego and bow down to a situation where he can really identify with me and get on my level on this one. He wanted us to know, if you choose as a believer in Christ to live your life detached, and you're never detached, but the idea that you're separated from the vine, nothing. It is zero. You have nothing of worth in God's eyes at all. He's very clear. It's very emphatic. And I praise him for that. Because sometimes we need to be taught that pulling ourselves by our bootstraps and self-sufficiency is the best we can do. And guess what? It still falls in the category of nothing. So the sooner that we stop doing that, the sooner that we can be open to his power being available in us. Now notice, it's selective towards those who believe. You have to believe in order for that to happen. How do we know that? It's it's true on two fronts. Number one, when I hear the gospel, when I hear that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the grave, do you believe that? Is there anything that's keeping you from believing in Christ right now? And I've got to make a decision about that. So I come to a conclusion of, no, there's nothing. I I need Christ. Yes, he died for my sins. Fantastic. Awesome. At that moment, God does something incredible. He instantaneously causes us to be born from above, and we now have a brand new life, which is God's life in us, which we call it eternal life. That is God's power wrought in a person who has responded in faith to the gospel. So that's available. But we'll go one step further. When I am living in submission and respond favorably to his word, I now have his power flowing through me in obedience. It's all him. It's not me. As soon as I'm like, I got it here from Jesus. Let me take the wheel. Okay, let's go. Ditch. Crash. Brick wall. It's like a Wiley Coyote cartoon. I ran out of road and I just kept going. And that's how it works out. It's towards us who believe in two ways. Number one, in our justification. Number two, in our sanctification. It applies in both situations because the power of God is the active force in each one of those situations. It's not us, it's through us. That's important. So notice, these are in accordance with. Now, here's what's interesting about this. In accordance with, this is the idea of a measurement. Thank God for measurements. Anybody here got a job where you rely on measurements? Thank you for doing your job. Because without measurements, it wouldn't work, would it? Yes? No? Yeah. Everybody's trying to convince us in this world that a male end is really a female end. Get an electricity class and try that. I don't know. It's not going to work. You've got to have measurements. You've got to have standards. You've got to have these things. Look what it says here. These are the surpassing greatness of his power towards us are in accordance with the working of the strength of, here it is again, his might. Now the working, so this is where we actually get the word energy from. The strength, 
So we got that idea, okay? The idea of a, of a force taking place here. Of his might, which is the idea of capability. I have a master's degree. All right. Of a capability that he has. He is able to work it in such a way to where it exerts a force that is able to operate within the vastness of his capability to do so. Does that make sense? You can only pull, you can only fill up an in-ground pool to the boundaries that have been dug in the yard. Yes? Okay, imagine that, the idea of how God is measuring out his power, or how Paul says it in relation to this. How big is God's pool? It's massive. How deep is his pool? It's massive. Guess what? God does massive. That's what he does. And that's how his power works in us. Now watch this. Because here is the measuring stick for this. Which he brought about. Everybody see this? Now when we've been looking at this all throughout Ephesians, we've been looking at this in the idea of this is our brand new location. If you've believed, you've now been transferred into Jesus. The U-Haul pulled up, took you away, and dropped you off there. You're in a brand new location. You are in Christ, and that's how God sees you. But that's not how Paul uses this in this situation. He is dealing with the person of Christ, earthly speaking. Okay? And here's the reason why this is. He brought it about, so the strength of his might, he's bringing about in a way that is tangible that we can refer back to and look at. And notice, it's two things. Number one, when he raised him from the dead. Resurrection. If you're taking notes, write it out there. It's not going to hurt you. Number two, seated him at his right hand. It's a place of privilege, but it's the idea of the ascension and exaltation. What's he saying? The same power that God exercised in raising Jesus from the tomb and having Him walk out of there. And not only that, but when He was done teaching and He's gathered up right in front of His apostles as He goes up in the clouds and they're watching Him go up there, it's the same power that took Him up into heaven and it's the same power that seated Him right next to Him at His right hand waiting for the day when He would ascend the throne to rule for a thousand years. That exact same power that God exercises is not like the power that He uses towards us. It's not similar to the power that He would exercise towards us. It is the exact same power. The righteousness that you and I have credited to us is the same righteousness of God because it's Christ's righteousness. It's the exact same power that was used to raise, ascend, and exalt Him is the same power that is available to you and I. Are you powerful? Still kind of weird saying yes, but you're telling me kind of yeah, okay. You are. Does it have anything to do with you? There it is. There is no limit and bounds to the power that I have available in my person only because God chooses to work through my person. But it's His power. How do you know that? Because He wanted to give me something in order to frame it out so I could understand, so I could put the ruler up there and see. And what he decided to show me, to demonstrate in history for me, is the idea of taking a dead man and raising him from the grave and then taking him up into heaven 
transcending the dimension of the firmament, we'll talk more about that one later, and moving him into a situation where he said, sit right here next to me. That's the power you and I have. The same power. You say, I don't know if I believe that. It'll take a while. Because we will often find that we live not like that. I find all kinds of places where I live not like that. Let me give you an example. This past Tuesday, we decided that we were going to go out for my birthday. So the staff got together. We were going to go. Emily's coming from a different direction. But in my car is Zach and myself and Amy and Tabitha. We're driving along there. And admittedly, we left a little late. Okay? We've got about a 25-minute drive. Where's she at? Stop it. Don't spoil my story. So when you're running a little late, what do you do, church? Huh? Paddle in the metal, you speed. Surely not. Say it's not so, I never speed. No. That's part of my story. He said, you like Zach drive. It's part of my story. So we get there. We made it just a couple of minutes later than what we would have been. Yeah, we made it. Awesome. I did not know that Zach had an app on his phone through his insurance company that records how you drive. Because he had it on because he had just been driving. And if he's a good driver and they rate him well like that, he gets a kickback. Good. Talk to him later about what his insurance company is, okay? So we're kind of sitting there. Emily gets there. We're sitting around. And he starts reading off the charges line by line. I'm thinking, man, if he would have just taken a fork and stabbed me in the liver, that might have been better here, man. But he said I was going 73 and a 55 to get there. Stop pretending like you ain't done that. Oh my gosh. Bunch of self-righteous people. At least I don't drive like my pastor. Now here's the thing. You've heard me go over Romans 14. I know Romans 14. Sorry, 13. 13. I obviously don't know Romans 13. (laughs) Romans 13, 1 through 8, obeying the laws of the Lord. The laws of the government have been put in place because nobody's in power except for the fact that God has allowed them to be in power. He's the one who's placed them. Don't speak against the Lord's servant. So those things that are there are there. But because I let for an alternate value system, which is not being late, to replace the truth of what God's Word has clearly said, I find myself taking things into my own power so that I can control it and come out with a better conclusion. Better conclusion. Yeah. (laughs) He actually tried to make me not feel so bad. He's like, you still got four out of five stars. (laughs) I'm like, wow, that's a gracious insurance company, right? 
But that's one example, just one that I could come up with personally. This is what it looks like to live in our own power. Is to say this is a better way to go. And so it justifies the means of which I'm seeking to accomplish the end because the end is noble. We surely don't want to be late. You know what that is? Saying that I need to exert my own power in this and speed and break laws because of that? It's me saying I'm a terrible at prepping and I should have left early. Nobody likes that. Because then I have to say I'm wrong. And I'm wrong. And it was sin. Call it what it is. And it humbles you quick. Like it's just speeding. Don't lose sight of it, man. Don't lose sight of how convinced we've become that our own power is a better solution than what God has done over the infinite ages in order to construct our present moment right now. There is not anywhere we have been, are, or will be that He does not have over His careful care and concern for us. And when I think that I've got to rip it out of His hands so I can control the situation and provide the answer to the solution, I have deceived myself and I don't care about seeing God's power operate through me. All I care about is my power getting the answer. Sometimes we run over our own sibling to get an answer. We do it in our own power. And what that is, is it exposes the fact of just how prideful I am in that situation. Because I think I have the better solution than what God has. I don't sit back and rest and trust that even though I'm late, it is of my own fault and my own accord and being responsible for that, but still obeying God along the lines of it. So that His purposes are accomplished no matter what the means is. Why are you making such a big deal about this? Because we often don't live in God's power. And we can't live in God's power as long as we're full of self. If power is going to flow through me, I find out that I am my greatest dam. And I am keeping it from being everything that it should be and changing me in the image of Christ. Why? Because I have rights that need to be paraded. Well, you don't understand. I know better in this. I have specialized in this. I have experience in this. And we give all kinds of worldly reasons as to why obedience wasn't the right thing to do. That strikes me. And it exposes a lot. Notice the two things that he does is in resurrection power and ascension power. I don't have time. I want to get to what the things I really want to talk about today that I felt were important. Uh, if you want to read the notes, they're on the pastor's blog on the website. Notice this, it's far above all rule and authority, all power and dominion. Everybody see rule? Where's my pen? Rule, authority, power, dominion. These are all mentioned again in Ephesians 6. And the reason is, is because they're talking about rain, rankings of celestial beings and demonic powers. Only dominion is different. Uh, it's a derivative of the word that we get Lord from. It's sometimes translated authority throughout the Bible. You can check that out later. Use literal word to do so. Notice, in every name that is named, greater than those things. So he's far above that. He's far above this. Not only in this age, present, the church dispensation, but also in the one to come. What is the one to come? The millennial kingdom. 
He's above them all. He's exalted to that position. That's what this power, that is the measurement, that is the picture that God wants to paint of what this power looks like. That He desires us to develop a spiritual quality in order to have Him unveil it supernaturally to us so that we would go deeper with Him so that we would appreciate this more and live into conformity to the life of Christ and not our own. So notice, He put all things in subjection under His feet. I would recommend looking at this to see how that works. Uh, Psalm 110.1 to check that out. We don't have time to look at it now. And gave Him His head over all things to the church. He is our head. And when we don't operate in His power, we act like a headless church. Can anybody do anything without their head? Anybody ever seen or done where a chicken gets their head cut off? They were running. You, we heard that, man, that's a Kentucky term. They were running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Usually talking about kids or college people, whatever. And what do you find? They flap. They run up walls. They're rolling over like crazy. And eventually, done. But boy, it took a long time to get there. You realize a lot of churches are operating like that. Because they've forsaken the head. Because in the head is the the brain. Go ahead and say it. The noggin. Sure, whatever you call it. But too many churches are operating brainlessly. We can't afford to do that. Jesus Christ not only has the power of God demonstrated through Him in His resurrection and His ascension and His exaltation, but also in the fact that He's been given a preeminent place at the right hand of the Father, but also crowned as the head of the church of which we are to be His body. Notice this. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. You and I are the fullness of Christ in this present age. Just as Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, here on earth, is the fullness of God indwelling Him bodily. Deity indwelling Him bodily. So you and I as the body of Christ are the fullness of Jesus to this world today. We are His children. We are the representatives. We are brothers and sisters. He is our head. We are His body. He is the husband. We are the wife. The whole deal. So now all fullness of Christ that He would want to communicate to this world is communicated between you and me. Now, that ends the understanding of chapter 1, of which we will pick up 2. Don't let the chapter marker fool you. But here's what I want to look at real quick is the idea of power and why we often lack the idea of God's power flowing through us in a supernatural way. So if you would, take your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians 4. I just want to see this for a minute. Nobody's surprised I'm going along. Don't act like you are. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4. I just want to ask you a question about this. I'm going to read this passage. You're probably very familiar with it. I just want to read this. I want to ask you a question. Philippians 4, look at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Paul's talking to a church about them uh, supporting him as a missionary. And he says something incredibly interesting here, starting in verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I have, what's that word, church? Learned. To be content in whatever circumstances I am. 
Paul may have been late to the lunch, but he wasn't going to speed to get there. Look what he says. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. Up or down, doesn't matter. Notice he says, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret. Good googly. What in the world is he talking about there? I've learned, there's a word learned again, the secret of being filled and going hungry. He's learned it. Notice it says here, both of having abundance and suffering need. Now pause for a second. Do we know the secret? If we lost everything now, would we be content in our circumstances? Are you sure? Pray about it and answer me next week, okay? But think about it. All of it gone. You drive home from church today, all of it's gone. Wiped off the map like it wasn't even there. You go to check your bank account. This isn't far from being true. All of it's gone. Everything that you consider normal or comfortable, removed. Have you noticed that we change when things are going well? We call it contentment, but it's actually abuse. Well, I'm content in this because things are really prosperous. No, we just decided that we were going to take a few notches out of the belt and let the pants go a little bit. That's what we decided. We decided we were going to stretch out our dominance a little bit more because it's way easier to operate with $1,000 in the bank than it is $1 in the bank. And so we're going to take advantage of that situation and miss the contentment out of it. And then Paul, along with the Holy Spirit and Tim Tebow, say this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Through. Through. Which means that he is an indispensable part of which this needs to happen. Now here's the question. How did Paul get to this point? He understood the power of God. What he's praying for in Ephesians 1 is manifested in his words here. Because it's the idea of grasping His power towards us that whatever situation you found yourself in, it didn't change who God was in that situation. And He's still as powerful with nothing as He is as powerful with everything. The only thing that changed in those situations was us. Because we're so susceptible to not trusting Him as much when we have more. And all of a sudden when we have less, we experience revival. I tell you, that's a wayward ship. That is being blown to and fro and not really understanding the course of which we're going. And that's why a prayer like this is so necessary. To be taken deeper with Him and a greater knowledge and intimate understanding of Him. Why is that? So that regardless of what's blowing all around me, I didn't stop with my focus on that, looking for His power to be the reality through me. I didn't change regardless of what changed around me or to me or what people tried to do or offer me. I laid those things down because I was so content with God's power regardless of the circumstance. Does that make sense? Let me give you a feat example with Paul. 2 Corinthians 12. And this is where we'll wrap up.
2 Corinthians 12. We're going to start in verse 2. You're probably familiar with this situation as well. This is the key to the power of God. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He's talking about himself, actually, you find here. Such a man caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. He's in the throne room of God is what he's telling us. And he saw it. And he heard it. And he was there. And he said, I can't even begin to formulate what needs to be communicated about that experience. Now maybe we don't fully understand that. Maybe we think that's strange and that's okay. But I want you to get the gist of where he's going. Verse 5, on behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in regards to my, what, what is it, church? Weakness. Hold on to that word. Hold on to that word. Verse 6, for if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Why? Because there's a tendency to become prideful the more that you understand about God. Paul had seen things that we won't see until we get there. But I believe that God showed him that in order to propel him towards success and fulfilling the mission that he's given him in taking the gospel to the Gentiles and establishing these churches. Now watch what happens in this. Verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness, whoa, there's that word again, of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. There's the danger. Exalting himself and what? His own strength and his own power. Look what it says. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. It was a preventative. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, pay attention. Because imagine it. You've got an ailment of some form that is either mentally tormenting or painful or what have you. We don't even know what the thorn in the flesh was. But it was something that kept him from saying, look at me, look at me. And that's the purpose that it served out. Do not go home and pray for a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. Don't do it. I say that with seriousness. Do not do it. You don't want it. Paul didn't want it after he had it. So he implores the Lord three times, Lord, take this from me. And here's what he finds out. Here's what he says. My grace is sufficient for you for power, here it is, power is perfected where? Pause for a second. Think about this in your own life. It's only in weakness that God's power can be what it needs to be in our lives. And that boils down to us saying no to a lot of situations. And that boils down to us saying, I can't in this situation. I shouldn't in this situation. I don't need to in this situation. Because whatever it is to have this self-serving Superman complex that we suffer from has got to go. God's power can't be perfected. And you know if this is true in your life because people give you the glory for it. 
You're the one they talk about. You're the one that's on display. You're the one that's made much of. Paul says, from what I've seen, God had to give me a problem to keep me from being the center of attention. And that's the key. Did you come to church ready to get out of the way? That's what my friend Alex says. Are you ready to get out of the way today? I've studied and I'm ready and i got this illustration. It's really great about how I sped. Are you ready to get out of God's way and let God be God today? Why? Because it's not until you come to a point of weakness that God's power has room to work. Let me put it another way. Jeremy, you're so full of yourself, God can't do anything. You're so filled up with you. You're so filled up thinking that you got the answers and that you can accomplish it all and you got a better way and that you got a better solution. And all that is is me in the background with the bicycle tire pumping my pride up. That's what that is. You know what the greatest thing that could happen in that moment? Thank you, God. Because now I can know what it truly is to live through life because I'm not worried about living it anymore. I'm worried about you living it through me. As you always wanted to do, as your son died to do, as was all provided by his sacrifice for me, and as he was raised from the grave in order to pave that way for me so that I would simply fall in submission behind him as he leads. That's what it comes down to. Let me give you this quote real quick. It's long. Forgive me. As you guys know here at Grace Bible Church, I love putting theology in the bathroom. Okay? And so, if you go tinkle, this is what you'll find. It's true. Watchman Nee says, For God's way of deliverance is altogether different from man's way. Man's way is to try to suppress sin by seeking to overcome it. If I could just get a hold of this sin in my life and deal with it. If I could just... If I... Usually, if I is where we probably should have stopped and humbled ourselves. Man's way is to try to suppress sin and over, by seeking to overcome it. God's way is to remove the sinner. You say, oh, is he going to kill us? What's going on here? Hold on. Many Christians mourn over their weakness, thinking that if only they were stronger, all would be well. The idea that because failure to lead a holy life is due to our impotence, something more is therefore demanded of us leads naturally to the false conception of the way of deliverance. If we are preoccupied with the power of sin and with our inability to meet it, we will naturally conclude that to gain the victory over sin, we must have more power. That's what we often conclude. If only I were stronger, we say, I could overcome my violent outbursts of temper. And so we plead with the Lord to strengthen us that we may exercise more self-control. But this is altogether wrong. This is not Christianity. God's means of delivering us from sin is not by making us stronger and stronger, but by making us weaker and weaker. That is surely rather a peculiar way of victory, you say, but it is the divine way. God sets us free from the dominion of sin, not by strengthening our old man, but by crucifying him. Not by helping him to do anything, but by removing him from the scene of action. For years maybe, you've tried fruitlessly to exercise control over yourself. And perhaps this is still your experience. 
But when once you see the truth, you will recognize that you are indeed powerless to do anything, but that in setting you aside altogether, God has done it all. Such a revelation brings human effort to an end. God's goal is not to make this better. God's goal is to say, get out of my son's way and let him be all that you need. That's power. And until I'm willing to come to the place where if I'm praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the deeper knowledge, the intimate knowledge of Him, and I come to this realization of a glorification certain hope and the idea that there are riches inexpressible awaiting me in glory, but the fact that I need to understand in a greater way His surpassing, His resurrection, ascension, and exalting power that can be effective in my life i will never experience as long as i'm willing to stand there and say only this far god and no more like i have some sort of say one of the worst things i can think of is a christian that's in control of their own life we can't afford to be like that so i'm not trying to end on a doggy downer note But here are some questions. What areas of our lives are too full full for God's power to work? Only you can answer that. You know your situation. You know when you have that like, go on, of something that's a problem. We'll deal with it later. We'll brush it under the rug. It's not a big deal. Let's not worry about it. Well, that's not even worth bringing up. If God's trying to get your attention, He's asking for you to deal with it in a small way now so it doesn't become a ridiculously hard cancer to remove later that may kill you. Deal with it early. Only you know what those areas are. If you don't, you're like, I don't have any areas. Cool. Pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit. He's really good at revealing things. The second part. Will we become weak in self so that we may become strong in Him? That's the only way that the church of Jesus Christ changes. Imagine for a second. Dream with me for a moment. Let's paint a picture vividly. What would be the possibilities that Grace Bible Church would be used of the Lord to do in Portage if we all came to our knees and said, Lord, I just want to be out of the way. I just want to be nothing so that you can be everything. I want to have the same prayer as John the Baptist and decrease so that he may increase. I want to learn what it is to fall in love and embrace and accept my weakness instead of showing up every Sunday with the mask on like I've got it all together. I want to come to you, cast the mask in the fire and say simply, I don't have it going on and this is why I need you, Lord. I need you, I need you, I need you. You're the only solution. It is only in that position that God's power will flow. It will not flow any other way. We are too often our own dam. And we've got to break that down. Take a moment in prayer. Spend whatever time you need and ask of the Lord. It's what this time is for. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You that You are a most righteous Savior demonstrating God's power being used of Him fully to show the world, both seen and unseen, the visible and the invisible. 
whether it be human or celestial, all of creation can see the power of God in the resurrection and ascension. Help us to grasp that this is the power that is available to us. But it's not by getting a checklist together. It's not by finally doing things right. But it's by a simple admission of weakness. Maybe we sit in this room right now and our pride is full. Maybe we're unwilling to come to terms with wrong that we've done. We refuse to be wrong. Maybe we refuse to acknowledge that we've sinned in this situation. Maybe it's that we're harboring unforgiveness against somebody in a situation that we know we should have forgiven long ago. Only the Spirit can minister that to our hearts right now of what needs to happen. So Lord, I pray in whatever way that needs to take place, that we would recognize that the problem is self and the solution is removal. That we don't need to parade self anymore. You're not interested in working with self. You're interested in Christ working through us. That's the divine work you desire to do. So Lord, we, we may not fully grasp this concept now, but that's why we pray that you would give to us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of you. That we could comprehend our glorious secured end. That we would comprehend the riches of your grace towards us in the heavenlies. That we would also rec recognize and comprehend and embrace fact that you have surpassing great power on reserve for us. Father, humble us in this time, please, in Jesus' name.